Mark, I think you're right. It's, it's gone so quickly. Um, you know, when you try and remember every little detail, then I think you, you realize that the 10 years obviously fade some of the memories. Um, but it does feel like a lot more recent than that, I'll be honest. I remember I was a young guy kind of watching the game and I remember even having a bit of a, shedding a bit of a tear after the England final and we'll, we'll get to the England game. But I mean, I want to also just start off by maybe just taking a look at your journey to that 2007 Rugby World Cup. I think fans may have forgotten about how testing a time it was for you building up to that World Cup to then be able to come back and get into that squad. I think from being the, you know, the, the golden boy of SA Rugby in the late 90s to then you know, suffer a few injuries and make it back into that Rugby World Cup squad, that must have been very special for you. Yeah, look, I was incredibly lucky. You know, I've I've had a, a a journey in rugby which has been blessed with some amazing people around me, from coaches at the beginning to you know family members and and people that I met who helped me along the way. So I think you know my little my little role in that was just to try and get fit and strong again and be part of that Sharks team. Um, and and they went all the way to the final. Brian Habana broke my heart, obviously, in the in the final, um, and the Bulls beat us. But it was enough to get into that World Cup squad. So. I think, um, yeah, from a from a personal point of view, it was a great journey that that I really, really enjoyed. Lucky to be part of it. Um, tremendously lucky to be even contesting for a World Cup spot, and then to be there and and you know moving through uh, the knockout stages was was something we lived every day. It was very real and uh, certainly a memory that I cherish. Very lucky. Do you remember what the, the reaction was when the group had come out? I mean, obviously, England were always going to be regarded as, as one of the threats and a few tough Pacific Island sides in there as well. What was, the, what was the general feeling amongst the box, knowing what was coming up in those group stages? Well, you know, remember, we, we always knew what we were going to be playing against in the pool. And, um, and Jake White um, had planned it meticulously. So he was, he was ready for, for that opening game like no other. I mean, he'd, he'd done all of the, the background work and... Um, Eddie Jones was part of our backroom staff and um, Alistair Kutsia and Kurt Small and, and all the guys had, had done all their work on who we'd be playing against and where and and England were in a, in a little bit of a disarray before that tournament so we definitely targeted that game early on and had a great result in our opening um, match um, and I think you know the, when you say things go according to plan our, our World Cup and, and we uh, you can fall into d- two sides of history you know you can take all the all the credit for things that happened because of luck, but I think it's more important to credit luck um, as well um, because we, we, we did have some extraordinary results in that World Cup that worked in our favour. You speak about the journey, Bob, for you to come back and, and be a part of that Sharks franchise set up to then get into the World Cup. What did it mean for you then to go on and captain the team in that Tonga game? Oh, it was a great privilege. You know, I'd, I'd skipped them in a, in a warm-up game. Uh, I bumped my head in... in um, in Connaught and, and uh, had a bit of a concussion, so I was out for a bit. I'd broken my rib going overseas. I mean, there were so many times when I thought the journey was over that just to be part of it was great. You know, Tonga was a massive scare for us. Um, we had a we had a, a very fired up uh, Tonga game in our pool. I mean, we would have gone through as, as top of the pool anyway, but it, it would have certainly meant that it would dented our confidence. We brought on all the, all the big guns, and, and for the first 10 minutes of that, uh, Tonga scored two tries. <laughs> So that certainly didn't go according to plan. But then we managed to to, to hold them out, uh, and and incredibly, you know, a, a World Cup later, Tonga were knocking over France and and uh, coming close against New Zealand. So they've also been on on a journey. And for me to go up to Lille and 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 captain the side and and be part of that, uh, managed to to sneak over in the corner for a try. Um, 
I think that's probably one of my, my best rugby memories, you know. Nerve-wracking times, but uh, when you look back on tournaments like that, it's, it's made of a whole bunch of different uh, memories, and that was certainly one of them. You mentioned the bumps and bruises. It's probably not very often that the same team will go on and face Tonga, Samoa, and Fiji in the same World Cup, and we know how you know, physically determining they can be and how much of a battering, bruising encounter that can be. So I imagine that you know, the longer the competition went on, to then have to face all those Pacific Island sides, I'm sure there were a couple knocks and bumps. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the beauty about the Pacific Islanders is that they're incredibly physical um, and, and, and skillful as well. You know, I, I feel that they, they don't necessarily get enough time at the at the top level of, of world rugby together. You know, and maybe it's a finance thing. I'm not sure. But, but the athletes that they produce are just incredible. You know, we we had a couple of uh, unfortunate incidents because Jean de Villiers, um, you know, was was out for the tournament. He was he got um, smashed in a in a tackle as well. And then um, Francis Stain had to had to step up into a position as a I mean almost twenty year old kid. Um, you know, so so sometimes lucky things happen because of of things that happen to other people. You know, Jean went on to an incredible career as a Springbok. So so I think that that toughened him up. Scott Berger had a uh, a, a ban from a, from a high tackle in a tournament where, where high tackles happened around every corner, especially in those kind of games. So, it, you know, it was tough. They are tough. I think the one thing about South Africans is that if there's a challenge, we don't stand back. So, so certainly in a, in, a, in a big physical game, um, it, it was to our advantage. So despite the fact that there was a, a, a huge amount of physicality in those games, we were confident that we could match them. You know, Butch James was sublime in a quarterfinal against Fiji, Came back after after Fiji had had played some incredible running rugby and scored some long tries. Butch scored a, a try, put in some some massive hits to to quell the sort of uh, buoyant spirits of of that Fijian side, and and uh, and I think led us uh, you know to a, to a much more um, confident place for a, for a big semi final. And then to take you into that semi-final, I mean, there was no fears of, or at least it certainly didn't look like it at the end of the 80 minutes, but there was no fear of, you know, you know slipping on the, on, the, on the banana peel or any nerves there, because, I mean, to run out 37-13 winners against what was then a very good Argentine side that was really starting to, to show promise as well. We know there were those wonderfully famous photos of Brian as well, diving over for those uh, equaling, or that record equaling tries as well for the World Cup, but uh, it certainly didn't look as if there were any nerves in that semi. Well, I think, you know, Mark, you've got to remember that there's always going to be nerves. Um, and I think this team was just so confident in themselves, they were able to quell them. You know, we had guys like Victor Maxfield and Fareed Dupre who'd been through finals and winning finals. And um, it's certainly in Super Rugby and Curry Cup together. A whole bunch of the, the players had done it together, you know, um, Johnny and, and Bucky, etc. And they, they exuded the confidence, which then the rest of us, I suppose, I suppose who'd, who'd, you know, won some domestic competitions, etc., but certainly not at semi-final level of, of World Cups, um, could could jump onto the coattails and, and take that confidence. You know, Osterunt is there, and when, when you've got the guy packing down in your front row that's already won a World Cup, it's, it's just a fantastic feeling. So that was good. But, but um, Argentina, you've got to take your hat off to the way they played in that tournament. You know, they turned over the hosts, France, in the first game to really shut up all of their critics. And Gus Pichot was, was their inspirational uh, leader early on in, in the resurgence of Argentinian rugby. And, and, and if, you, if you understand what, what that meant for the whole of Argentina, you can see it coming out in the way the team plays now. So, yeah, it was a, it was a tremendous, tremendous match. Great to be um, a, a part of that. And then, and then when, you, when you look at the way the guys played as well, we were, we were 
playing some try scoring rugby, and it was great to, for, for Brian to be the guy that that uh, equaled that record. I imagine that building up to the first game of the campaign, you're coming up against a very decent squad. There's always going to be nerves in the opening match of a World Cup. So now go into the final match of a World Cup against the same opposition with, if not even arguably, even more nerves going into the, the championship final. I mean, was there a little bit of irony there that it was the, the same game that opened and closed the competition? And thankfully, from our perspective, the same result, I imagine. But I can imagine that, you know, building up to that final to come up against England again, uh, how is that doing? Well, I think that the one thing to remember is that, is that you know, there's, there's unknown unknowns and, and there's known unknowns. You know, we, we knew what England had when they were playing the way they played, you know, early in the tournament. But then we'd watched their, them, them improve and we'd watched what I think was difficult circumstances for them, you know, and, and a team who um, almost rallied together because of those difficult circumstances. We, we've seen it in, in some of the Springbok teams. I mean... We saw it in the Wallabies game against the All Blacks last week. You know, they took 50 points the week before and suddenly they were contesting against the world champions and ready to beat them. So that England side never, never had um, an, an ounce of, of a lack of respect from us. We, we certainly respected what they had. But we did know that if we played to our best and they played to their best, then we had a very, very good chance of beating them. Um, we've got to doff our caps to, to Donny Rousseau, um, the big marauding... Uh, man whose flying arm put Mark Quater out in the corner um, to a very on-point TMO, I suppose. Um, But the beauty about that is that the English will always think that they won that World Cup because of that uh, that try in the corner. Um, And I think, you know, we can can turn around and say, well, at the end of that first half, we would have done anything, you know, even if they had equaled up the scores. They wouldn't have quite equaled the scores, but if we had gone in a point or two ahead at halftime, we would have had enough to finish it. we were delighted to, to be a, a squad that managed to do that. Every South African saying it's out, every Englishman saying it's in. I imagine it's a different perspective. Though. <laughs> you touched on Franz Stein slightly a little bit earlier on, saying that here was this 20-year-old kid that was now you know, put on the, the spot to basically kick the, the, the final points of a Rugby World Cup final. But, I mean, similar to what we saw in 95, as you can imagine, finals are quite tense and dominated by the boots. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, obviously for Percy and, and for France to go on and... and I don't want to say steal the show because it was very much an entire squad on the day, but for them to go on and kick the points in a crunch game like that, I imagine that you know their reaction and the team's reaction to them doing their job must have been very well deserved as well. Oh, exactly. I mean, I think it's a, it's a tale of, of, of two careers, really, because it was the beginning of one and, and almost the end of another. You know, um, Francis Stein was, was young and completely unblemished and untarnished in terms of the ways of the world. And then you had Percy Montgomery, who was Mr. Consistency, Who'd, who'd already played 12 years of, of international rugby, you know, and had gone off to Wales, refound some form. Jake had phoned him up and said, I want you to be part of the Springboks. He'd, he'd made his way back into the fold and, and, and he'd become the, the test centurion and, and the legend of South African rugby that, that Percy Montgomery is, you know. So I was very privileged to know Percy from, from a Craven Week in 1993. And, and for that to be a, a journey so many years later was, was a huge part of, of, you know, the gratitude that I feel for being in that squad. But also what, what he could do, he could take the youngsters like France and say, well, let's go and knock over some extra kicks. Let's talk about being in pressure situations. Let's talk about what we're going to do in the final. Let's talk about how we're going to win this thing for South Africa. And, and that was the beauty of Monty. I don't think uh, pressure got to him. I think he, he operated in a, in, a, in a bubble and the other guys looked up to him and, and knew that, you know, he was going to perform when we needed him the most. 
a lot has obviously happened in the last 10 years and things will always evolve and players will come and go and coaches will come and go. But from, from your perspective, having been in the game for such a long time and, you know, for that side to go on and, and lift a Rugby World Cup title, do you feel that there were, you know, lessons that have been learnt in the last 10 years that can be taken back from that class of 2007? Oh, absolutely, Mark. I, I think the one thing that, that I've learned is that, is that nothing is, is, is easy to judge from the outside. I've, I've tried to remain neutral in terms of looking at, at the teams and, and judging individuals or whether it's coaches or players because you don't know individual stories. You know, I had, I had my own story going into that World Cup that, that very few people even, even knew about. So I'm not going <clears> to <throat> sit there and, and have a look at, at young players now and, and judge without getting the context of their story right. Um, I think the one, the one thing that I, that I had to, to take out of it is that, is that 10 years is, is, is a long time, you know, and, 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 and things change. And, and South Africa, at, at the moment, I don't think are, are at the heights of, of what they have been in the past, but things could turn around quickly. I'm delighted for Alistair Kutsier and the team to get five wins in a row. Hopefully they go on and, and turn this into the core and nucleus of a team that can really challenge at the next World Cup, and, and I'll be supporting them 100% of the way. And for Alice, that's a bit of a full circle mode as well, isn't it? To be part of that squad, to then miss out on the job going forward after Jake White had moved away. Many people thought that the time was perfect for him then to, to continue with the side, for him now to then come back into the Springbok setup and now have his own team a decade later. I mean, that to me is a, a story in itself as well. Yeah, look, I, I think, to be honest, if, if, if you look at the journey that Alice has been on, and we've spoken about journeys. I mean, you know, we had Peter de Villiers, who, who, who I really enjoyed as a, as a character and a rugby man, uh, come straight in after Jake, and there was a big hoo-ha about it, and Jake had left. And, you know, go back to the headlines and the interviews and a million things that happened. You know, we've all got opinions on it. But Alistair was, was there and quiet and, and determined in his own way to make his mark. He went in, on into Super Rugby and took that side into some semifinals and some finals of, of Super Rugby. And, and he's asked for a bit of time with the Springboks, uh, and when he's got it, they've performed. So I think he's going to take all of those lessons from that journey, that time with Eddie Jones, that time with the other coaches, that time with Jake, that time with the senior players, and I think he's going to use it to his advantage, and, and, and I hope that benefits the Springboks. It certainly is something that I hope benefits him, because he's a, he's a lovely man, he's a very kind soul, he's a, he's a, a rugby man through and through, and he, he deserves a, 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 good, uh, a good bit of luck.